Good morning. Good morning. Oh, man, it's good to see some of you in church finally. Praise God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was funny, right? There. Amen. It's all right. You don't have to light them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> amen. Amen. We're here to have a good time, but can we just, um, as everybody's kind of getting settled in, can we just take a moment to pray for what's happened, what just went down in Paris, and what just happened to all those lives and all those people affected, all the families affected. Can we just take a moment to just kind of have a silent prayer where we could just intercede for those people and for those, for those families? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for those that protect us. We thank you for those that surround us. We thank you for those, God, that, that do the work, Lord God. But ultimately, we thank you for your protection. We thank you that we're in your hands. We thank you, Lord God, that your, your word says that you hem us in, in front and behind. We thank you, Lord God, for the safety of your promise, Lord God. That even this life means nothing because we have you, Lord. Bring your peace and your comfort to those that mourn today, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord, whatever you're doing in this place, let me be a part of it. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Let me be included in it. Let me... Let me Use me to do it. Let me see it. Let others around me see it that they might believe. Amen? Listen, I believe heavy, heavy in my heart this morning. You guys, you guys came, some of you guys set up today. You're here on a special Sunday today. Let's just put it that way. You're here every, every Sunday special. Every time we get together, I, I love the word says where two or three are gathered. He's there, hemming us in in his presence. Amen? But, but you can't, I believe God is doing a new thing. Can somebody say amen? God is doing a new thing, but it's the same thing he always does. All right, you, I, I thought you'd be a little more excited about that. See, it's a new thing because maybe it's a new season for us. Maybe it's, 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 it's a new thing because it's for this time. Maybe it's a new thing because some of us are new to it. Maybe it's a new thing because it's for this time, for this season, for this people. But it's the same thing he always does. God doesn't change. God is doing the same thing. He's healing. He's transforming lives. He's calling people out. He's breaking chains. He's loosening strongholds. He's leveling rocky ground. He's making a straight way for you. He's bringing us through the fire without the smell of smoke. He's bringing us through the water without being overcome. He's strengthening some. He's testing some. He's breaking some. He's changing some. He's rearranging some. He's appointing and anointing some. He's humbling some he's preparing some and he's releasing some god is doing a new thing but it's the same thing he always does oh y'all ain't ready 
from the first miracle of Jesus, which marked them for the cross, to the last miracle, which brought them back from the cross. <laughs> he was doing the same thing. Amen. Welcome to the wedding this morning. I want to just look at Jesus' first miracle in Park there this morning because I believe God is just bringing us there. Pastor G told you what the first miracle was. Who remembers what it was? Thank you, Derek. So when you come to discipleship, you learn stuff like that. Amen? <laughs> and where did that first miracle take place? At a wedding. Amen. How many of you have been to a lot of weddings this year already? More than two, more than three, more than four, more than five. This guy, I think it's been six. But if you're like me, whenever you go to the wedding, what's the thing, you know, after the ceremony and you get to the reception, no matter how this is set up, everybody does this. You get to the reception and there's a little table with all the names and the table numbers, right? Come on, you do this. And, and usually, you know, you're with your crew, kind of, or you're with the people that you sat with at the wedding. You're with your, you're the people that you like to hang out with. And, and you get to the table, and there's a lot of people looking, and you're looking at the table for your name. You're like, and then you find, oh, Martinez, seven, seven. And your friends tell you, seven. See, I particularly worry about that because being a pastor, people do some mean things to me at weddings. Being a pastor, I always got to think, are they going to put me with people I know? Or sometimes the family says, I'm going to sit this guy with the pastor because he always turn up a little too much at a wedding. And so I'm going to sit him at the pastor's table. So thank you guys for making me the punishment at your weddings. Or sometimes you think it's cool, oh, he's a pastor, obviously, so we'll put him with my mother's grandmother's pastor, who's 94. And so, I'll, anyway, there's always a table, right? And so, anyway, <laughs> this first miracle takes place at a wedding that Jesus was invited to. It says that Jesus was invited to this wedding. How many of you know that? That alone will preach all day. If Jesus isn't invited to the wedding, don't go expecting him in the marriage. Where's my organ? It's like having holiday cups without mentioning the holiday. Oh, I just had to go there. Sorry. So come with me, if you would, to this wedding. In John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. The Moscato is empty. There's no more Zinfandel. They're out. So 
There's a problem at the wedding, and, and like Gary shared before, weddings in that time, they could last anywhere from a couple of days to a week. There's people here that I've spoken to that are from that, that custom, and they, they were telling me, because oh, I wanted to know, like, you know, we go crazy at a wedding. Can you imagine, Hispanics, but can you imagine being part of a culture that weddings, that parties for four, five, six days? I, I don't know how they do it, right, Eli? So it, it, it was very, it was customary for the, the groom and the families. They had to prepare in advance to make sure that all of this is covered, that there's enough wine, there's enough food, there's enough everything. And some, it's customary in some of these, uh, um, in some of those places that even, even the garments were provided for you. So they would provide, not only make sure that you had wine and this and that, but they had to make sure you even had, like you come in your jeans and your Tims, and then you put on the wedding garment that they give you. So that everybody looks the same and it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know. And so it's very important. It would bring, for, the, for, for a family to run out of wine on any of those days, it would bring such a shame. It would mean like, like this, this, this guy is broke. Like I told you you shouldn't have married him. You know, it would be one of those things. It would be bad. It would bring a lot of shame on the family. That would be the ultimate bochinche in the whole neighborhood. Everybody would talk about it. People run into each other and say, hey, you heard Flacco got married? Yeah, but you heard what happened at the wedding? Yo, it was day two and they ran out of wine. What? Yeah, people was out. People were like, they were going up to the table and taking the envelopes back. They were like, later. <laughs> they, were calling, they were going to the, to the valet and say, yo, get me my camel. I'm out of here, bro. I'm out, you know? I mean, it was bad. That would bring so much shame. People would be talking about it for years, right? So, so here we are at this wedding, and the wine runs out. We don't know. Mary was probably tied into the family. We, we don't know who it was. The Bible doesn't tell us all of that. But obviously, she was connected, and so she found out. Somebody told her, the wine is empty. We ran out of wine. And so, Jesus, uh, so, so Mary goes to the Jesus table. It says she, she finds, she knew, she went to table seven. She knew Jesus and the disciples were at table seven. I'm making things up, but you, you understand. And so, so she went to the table. She said, I got to get the table. And she gets to the Jesus table. There's a shortage, and she comes to Jesus. Come on, that'll preach all day, right? There's a takeaway there for us right in the beginning. When you're empty, come to Jesus. Whenever you're coming up short in any area, when you're feeling dry, when there's nothing left to pour out, find the Jesus table, Amen. Now, we don't really know what Mary expects, but she knows who he is, and she knows he's able. And so she just leaves her request in his hands, and she tells the servants before she leaves, she says, listen, whatever he says to do, do it. And she bounces. Listen, the best and only advice we should ever take from Mary, there's no need for us to be hailing Mary. There's no need for us to pray to Mary. I'm sorry if I'm offending some of your traditions. But Mary was just like us. God blessed her and used her. Amen. But, but she doesn't carry our prayers. She can't answer our prayers. We shouldn't. The only advice we should take from Mary is that when something goes wrong at a wedding, find the Jesus table. When something goes wrong in the marriage after the wedding, find the Jesus table. And then whatever he says to do, do it. Oh, come on. This is marriage therapy right here. 
What does he say to do? Well, to the wives, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Say amen, fellas. This is your only chance. Nice, strong, loud. Amen. Wives, submit. Don't hit them in the elbow because then if you get thrown out, don't blame it on me. Wives, this is what the word says. Whatever Jesus says to do, when you come to the Jesus table and you said, I need help, come to the Jesus. Whatever he says to do, do it. And, and so the, the word says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's why single women don't get with a man you can't submit to. Come on, there's something here for everybody. Don't get with a man you can't submit to. If you don't feel safe to submit, get out. That's not the man. The word says, husbands, you thought it was over. Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's your turn, ladies. Amen. 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 Come on. Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave single men. Don't marry her if you ain't willing to lay your life down for her. The twerk won't work later. And if you're already married her, then lay it down. If anybody's having a problem with any of that, find the Jesus table. Come to the Jesus table. Amen? You say, but we're struggling. We're short on love. We're out of finances. Find the Jesus table and talk to him about it. And then whatever he says to do, do it. Like Nike. Come on. So Mary comes to the table. And now... The word says in verse 6, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. So this was hand-washing water. Jesus says to them, to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And so they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. Now, something must have happened. The word doesn't tell us this. We have to just kind of imagine this. And, and think about this. The word doesn't tell us exactly. They, when they went to draw it out, because, because listen, even if, if these servants were told, draw, draw this water out, throw it in a wine glass and take it to the head waiter. If when they drew it out and they feel they're not going to, don't, I don't think they're going to bring a glass of water, hand washing water. To the head waiter. So some commentators believe that, that it happened when they filled the jars. That it just became rare, Right? Or, or, or others believe that when they went to draw it out. And when they poured it in the glass. That it became red wine. But it doesn't matter when it happened. The point is it happened. Amen? The point is when we do what he says we should do. We get what he promises we'll get. Even when it seems impossible, even when it seems improbable, his promises are yes and amen. Wow. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, only the servants who draw the water knew. 
<clears throat> the head waiter called the bridegroom right away. He said, man, I never tasted Zinfandel like this. He said, every man serves the good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, let me it's, uh, break down the Hebrew for you there. That means when they're drunk off their, then, then they break out the cheap wine. He says, but you have served, they have kept the good wine until now. He said, you have saved the best for last. Verse 11, this beginning is the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So he did this so that they would believe. They wrote it so that we would believe. Amen? Now, as we see here, and, and, and all through the miracles of Jesus and, and the Old Testament, the, the, those prophets and those, it always begins, God always begins with what we already have. There were six water pots. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God always asks, what is in your hand? What is that in your hand? What are you holding on to? Like, like Jason shared last week regarding Moses. When, when God called Moses to lead, Moses had every excuse in the book. Yo, I'm too short. I'm too tall. I can't speak. I'm fat. I'm skinny. Uh, he had every excuse. God said, stop, stop, stop. He interrupted him and he said, what is that in your hand? And Moses thought it was just a dead stick. He's like, this is just a stick. This is a rod. This is what I walk with. This helps me stand up. It shows you I'm weak. I can't even stand up by myself. He thought it was just a dead stick. God showed him, if you could trust me with whatever you're holding on to, come on. I could use it for my glory. I could bless you with it, and, I, and others will be blessed by it. Somebody say amen. Church, I don't know what you hold on to today, what's, what you have in your hand, but I do know this. If you are holding anything in your hands that's not submitted to the Lord, it's a hindrance for you. That could be a job, that could be a career, an aspirations for a career, that could be a relationship, that could be your own children. Whatever we put before the Lord becomes an idol. Yeah, I didn't expect too many amens there, but. Not only will that hold you back, but it affects everyone around you. It affects your family. It affects your church. It affects everything you touch in your life. It affects everything that touches you. Whatever you're holding on to today, I'm going to invite you to bring it to the Jesus table. I wanted to give you this visual because I want you to think in your mind and, and kind of have that, that whenever you, whatever you have in your hand that's, that's a hindrance, whatever you have that you're still holding on to, whenever there's a shortage, whenever, whenever there's a lack, I wanted you to remember always. I, I don't care if you forget anything I say today, but you're going to remember the Jesus table. I promise you by the end of today, you will remember the Jesus table. Because see, whatever you give to God, whatever's in your hands, in his hands, a stick is not just a stick. It can swallow up snakes. It can part a sea. It can bring water from a rock. In his hands, five loaves and two fish can feed 5,000 with enough leftovers to feed you too. In your hands, your bitterness... Your unforgiveness is just a dead stick. Can I talk to somebody today? In his hands, your bitterness can be turned to joy. 
In his hands, your unforgiveness can be healed. And it can bring reconciliation and freedom for somebody else. And it could come back to you. Say amen. Whatever you're holding on to today could be your greatest blessing. If you just submit it to God and let him transform it. Amen. Because God wants to do a new thing today. And it's the same thing he always does. So Jesus notices the six water pots. He could have done this miracle anyway, obviously, because he's God, right? He could have done it any, any way. He could have just like had tap come out of rock and just... Whoosh. Anyway, he notices the six water pots. What's interesting to note is that these pots were what the religious Jews used to keep the law. So they had these hand-washing rituals in the law. And, and for the real devout, devout they, had to, they had to rinse their hands a certain way. The water had to fall from top to bottom. They had to rinse it a certain way before meals. For, for the real radical ones, it was between each meal. Can you imagine? Between each meal. That's for the real germaphobes in here. You're like, yes, that's me. <laughs> Those that have the Purell right now in your pocket. And every time you bless somebody, you shake your hand. You'd be a great Pharisee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll take that back. Never mind. Erase that from the tape. So, so in, he, he notices these six pots. Now, Jesus takes the pots symbolizing the old covenant, the, the law, and he uses that to make wine, which later he will use to symbolize the new covenant, the blood. Jesus says, draw some out and serve it. And the water became wine. Now listen, every day in Northern California and all over different regions of the world, water is turned to wine. Did you know that? Every, every day. But it's a very, very long process. Seeds are planted. Water is added to the seeds. The vine grows. Water is added to the vine and to the, to the ground. It's watered. The vine produces grapes. The grapes are later crushed and fermented. The end result, many, many seasons later, is the best of wines. Amen? You know that's how wine is made, right? Okay. So Jesus does in a matter of seconds with no effort at all what it takes winemakers seasons and seasons to do. And Jesus makes wine without growing a vine. Think about this. He makes wine without growing a vine and, and without producing any fruit. Could it be a picture of what he says later in John 15? See, those, those that know the word, you're already excited. You know what's there. Could it be, how can Jesus turn water to wine without the vine and the fruit? Could it be because he says in John 15, I am the vine. I am the vine. He says, and you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus can make wine from water because he's the vine. And when we do what he says, we become, come on. Tell somebody in Jesus, you have everything you need to make good wine. <laughs> Pause. Just remember, for the wine to be produced, the grape has to get crushed. And then it has to be left alone for a long season of waiting. Oh. 
Listen, some of you have been, there's some things that you've been waiting for for a long time. God is telling you today, it's in the making. Come on, it's in the making. I'm saving the best for last. I don't want Mr. Right now. I want Mr. Right, amen? He's saving the best for last. All the single people get excited. There's so many pictures we can take away from this miracle. I love it. We can just go on. It's a picture of the generosity of God. Jesus shows up with five disciples. There's six of them all together. They just come. He had just come like they were fishing. Hey, follow me. He was the guy's collecting tag. Hey, follow me. And now they're at a wedding. They probably didn't have time to stop at Walmart and get a CVS or, and get a card or get a, right? You know how we do right before a wedding? We're across the street. Every, me, you too. Every time, right before the wedding, I'm across the street. And then you're at the, at the, at the reception. Anybody got a pen? Anybody, anybody got a pen? They didn't have time. So Jesus, it's a picture of the generosity of God. Jesus comes with his disciples. There's six of them, and he didn't bring any presents, so he makes six huge pots of the best Zinfandel in the country. It's the generosity of God. See, you can't outgive God. Come on, this is the picture. You can't outgive God. It's a picture of the abundant life. Jesus doesn't make just enough wine to save the bride and groom from embarrassment. He made more than enough. Each of those pots is like 20 gallons of wine. Six of them. I know some of you struggle with math, but just say it's a lot. And if it's common core, we'll be here all day trying to figure out how much. It's a lot. Jesus makes more than enough. Amen. It's a picture of God. How I love this too. It's a picture of how, how God uses those that the world considers nothing. Only the servants knew. And the servants got to be the instruments of God's miracle. Nobody there knew. Only Mary and the servants knew. So the servants got to be the ones that were empowered and used to be. Come on, God wants to use you, us, to, to serve, who serve him. He wants to use us to, to just release miracles on people. It's, it's beautiful, man. We just have to come at it with humility. I love the humility that Jesus used. He had told her, listen, it's not my time. So, so instead of, you notice, we don't read anywhere. He's, he scrunched up his face and, and, and laid his hands on the, on the six pots like we would do, right? And yelled and prayed loud, prayer. Today we'll make wine. He didn't do any. He didn't touch the pots. He didn't, he didn't blow in people's faces. He didn't do any of that. He just said, fill it with water and draw it out. Isn't that, isn't that the humility of God? We got a lot to learn still, amen? It's so beautiful. It's, it's a picture of the transformation. God can take something that's common and make it something of value. You and I are that common water. When we come to his table, we're transformed. The old is past. All things become new. On a deeper level, the wine running out can signify the Old Testament law of animal sacrifices coming to an end. Think about it. 
And the new wine portrays the new covenant that the church partakes in in Christ, the perfect sacrifice. There's so much in here, amen? The wedding, it says, for some reason they noted, the wedding took place on the third day. It was on the third day that Christ rose from the dead, fulfilling and establishing the new covenant. No matter how you look at this event, it's obvious that the symbolism brings us to the blood that was shed for our forgiveness. Amen? God is doing a new thing. And he says to those servants, come, draw wine, and serve it. I'm going to ask those that are helping me if you would come and bring what's needed. Musicians could come. See, in case you've been wondering, perhaps at another church that you came from, you know, I love when people come and tell me, well, at my old church, we don't, at my old church, we did, you know, that makes the flesh want to come on and say, well, why are you not at your old church? <laughs> Would you like me to make a call? But in case you've been wondering, at my old church, you know, we did communion every week. And it was, you know, we did it all the time. We was always having communion. And, and in some other churches, you know, they did it every month. And, and, and maybe some of you have been here a while and you think, man, I don't remember ever doing communion. Maybe I missed that Sunday or something. But I, I, I want you to know that there's a reason that we don't do communion as often. And, you know, there's a serious reason for that. It's not because it's not important to us. It's because it's too important to us. See, the Bible doesn't tell us how often we should do it. It just says that we should do it in remembrance of Him. In remembrance of what was done for us. And it's also the Word is very careful to advise us that when we do it, don't take it lightly. So I'm going to ask you to do as Mary did at the wedding of Cana. Wherever you are today, wherever you're coming up short, wherever your shortage is, whatever it is you're carrying, whatever it is you're holding on to, in a moment I'm going to invite you all to find the Jesus table and come to it. We're not going to serve. We're not going to bring them out and serve it to you. That's not how this should work. I think there's something in us that needs to come to the Jesus table. There's something in us that needs to draw close to God. God says, if you draw close to me, I'll, I'll draw close to you. He said we should do this in remembrance of what he's done for us. So what we're eating and drinking in a moment was death to Christ, but life to us. I was reading something on communion this week and I, I took these notes. Communion is a heart check. Good morning. It's not a time to judge others. It's a time to acknowledge that we are imperfect beings. Walking together in an imperfect world, helping each other to higher ground. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? 
Communion is a statement of our unity. We all come together at the foot of the cross, all needing grace, all drinking deeply of the love of God, all equally flawed, but gladly resting in His embrace. See, communion is the great leveler. Every believer is brought to the same level. At communion, the titles don't matter. Personal achievements, spiritual gifts, social standing, it makes no difference. We're all reminded of what it took to save us. It inspires unity among us when we see our brothers and sisters at the foot of the cross receiving the same cleansing love that we all need. Communion is the anticipation of the victory that is to come. It's until Jesus returns. The groaning of today is only temporary. Victory is assured because in his death, he destroyed the power of death. Amen. So every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're confronted with the amazing mystery of God's grace. Beautiful tables been set before us. Paul tells the story this way in 1 Corinthians. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. I'm calling you to a heart check this morning. I'm going to ask if we could please just be real revelant. You understand Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I love that the word says, let a person examine himself then and then eat. Understand, we're not putting shame and guilt and condemnation on anybody today. The word says, let a person examine himself then and then eat. God wants you to examine yourself and eat, not examine yourself and refrain. God's calling us all to the Jesus table today. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to have been baptized and taken 18 classes. God, God, this is the leveler. We're all in the same place. God says if you need his grace, you can come to the table. 
If you've asked him into your life, you can come to the table. If you've asked him to forgive your sins, you can come to the table. The table's for you. The table's not hidden. The table's not exclusive. See, the table's on your floor. Jesus came to be on the same level with us. He's not a saint that we hang up on the wall. He came and became flesh. Walked on our, on our ground. He became flesh. He came on our level. Not to be exclusive. Not to be separate. He came on our level. To accept us. To receive us. To forgive us. The word says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that way we may not be condemned along with the world. Family communion is a place for honesty with ourselves and with God. It's a place of remembering. It's a cleansing. It's a place of new beginnings. Hear this psalm. Let it be your prayer this morning. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry out to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, God, kept the record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, there's the word, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, I will put my hope. I'd like for us to take some time this morning. I, purposely left time at the end of the service I'd like us to take some time and reflect and speak to God to examine your heart to examine where you are what you're up to God is interrupting some of you today God brought you here today to interrupt you to stop to tap you on the shoulder and stop to interrupt you so that you don't continue on in, in whatever's going on. So that you don't continue and, and fulfill that thing that you said you were going to do. And, and God is telling you, he's interrupting. Hold on, check this. Heart check. He's saying, stop. Think on this. So when you're ready today, I'm going to ask you to start to come up through the side aisles. When you're ready, and then exit through the center aisle. I'm going to ask you to come to take the emblems, take the body and the blood, and bring it back to your seat. And when you're ready, partake in your personal communion with God. We won't be doing it together, you're doing it on, on your own, okay? going to ask the worship team to not even come. We're just going to play this video. Funny that we heard the song earlier today, but we're going to kind of just let it minister to you and let it reflect over us. And Please, with extreme reverence, 
Let this be your prayer today. at the Jesus table today. There's restoration at the Jesus table today.
Take your time. Just want you to know no matter who you are, no matter where, came from there's mercy for you today there's forgiveness for you there's acceptance for you if you've never even made a decision to follow God if you've never even thought about communion that's for those Christian people I want to speak to your heart right now All of us are reflecting because we know we're not perfect. We don't just come up and grab because we feel we're entitled because we're all reflecting. We're taking a moment today because we understand that we're not perfect. 
We don't have it all together. Being a Christian is not about knowing and knowing I'll never make a mistake again and I'll never, I'll never do that same thing again. I'll never be that person again. I just invite you too to come. There's, there's always enough at his table. There's always enough at his table. There's covering for you at his table. There's forgiveness for you today at his table. This past weekend, I was with the young adults and I'd written something in my notes and I shared with them and I never realized the impact of it until I said it. And when it came out of, when it came out of, you know, my lips, then it, it, it hit me. I said, you know, God, Jesus said, and on that day, he, he sat with his followers and he, and he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it out. And then later on, he, when he was praying for, and obviously this was a, a symbolic thing of his broken body, of, of how he would now go. This was the last time he would gather with them. And from this point on, he was going to be accused. He was going to be taken, or arrested. He was going to be taken. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be broken. He was going to be put to death. And so he, he takes the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and Later on, he talks to the Father in a prayer and he says, As you sent me, I sent them. And so what I want you to see today is that God wants to take us, you and me, and he wants to break us, and he wants to share us. That's such a different Christianity than we hear about. Or it's all about me, everything's me, everything, bless me. God, God is not interested in blessing you to bless you. He's interested in blessing you to bless. Wow. Your, your life would be so much easier. It would take so much more meaning if you realize that your brokenness, there's purpose in your brokenness. There's purpose in your pain. God uses the things that we've been through, the things that have happened to us. And we can shout, it's not fair, it's not right. But God takes that brokenness and He uses it as a blessing to others and to bless you. So if you haven't already done so, if you would partake.
moments our kids will be released and they'll be running back and the chaos will start again and life will hit fast forward again can we embrace it differently can we receive the madness with a different mindset with a different heart emblems will stay there if you still need to come and do that you're free to do that we're not going to bring the worship team up we're not going to end the whole rejoicing I think there's enough rejoicing in what's happening in our hearts this morning amen as we wait for them I just bless you I release you. And I encourage you to be a blessing this week.